Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Coming up on Believe in Soccer, in a season of stops and starts, we've practically hit the midway mark of MLS. Is there a best of the best? Is the league's second longest tenured head coach on the hot seat? Not even close. The Shep Messing Daily Cast begins now. Well, three days, three episodes. My name is Steve Cangelosi, but this is Shep Messing's podcast, and games are coming so quickly that after a four-month shutdown, we've almost hit the midway mark of this MLS season. We'll dive into that and the supposedly small market team that is a Columbus side that's thinking big, big stars, big stadiums on the way, big-time coach, too. Neil Seeker, their play-by-play voice, chimes in on this edition. I'm going to start with something for Shep that cuts to the appetite for the world game right now. Liverpool Leeds was the most watched opening weekend Premier League match ever in the United States. This cuts to something that you spoke about in the first episode of the show. Major League Soccer is not competing with the NBA, baseball, the NFL, or the NHL. It's competing against the best soccer leagues in the world for your attention. I guess that was reinforced over the weekend again. (laughs) Steve, no doubt about it. Look, especially in in the big markets in the United States and Canada, it's a global sport that we're trying to compare or watch or attract attention. But the thing that I love about it, Steve, there's always a connection. No matter where you go in the world, there's a connection usually to the United States and to Major League Soccer as Major League Soccer has grown. That leads game that you talked about against Liverpool, probably one of the most excited guys on the field was Jack Harrison. Yeah. English-born, you know, went to Wake Forest, played for NYCFC before he got sold to Manchester City. Now on loan at Leeds, but you can always connect the dots, and that was a big game to watch. You see, I always thought it would work the opposite way. If people are into big games globally, I think that should just enhance the soccer product here. I mean, are you worn out by 7 o'clock to watch an MLS game if you've watched two in the morning, whether it be Premier League or Bundesliga? I I just don't suspect it should be that way. Well, you know, again, this for me is the most embracing sport in the world. Soccer, football, 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 whatever you call it. Mm -hmm. But it's also the most fragmented and, and the most the most tribal. So I don't get it either. Uh, I love watching Portland against Seattle and Liverpool against Leeds. But I think, again, in the scheme of things, Major League Soccer is growing, and and that time will come. All right, we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive into uh, the league here, Major League Soccer, obviously, today. And uh, the pandemic doesn't mean organizations have to be forgiving, right? Because we've seen coaches get fired uh, since the pandemic came into play. Frank DeBoer in Atlanta, Chris Armas with the New York Red Bulls. When a team hires one of its most popular players to manage or coach, it inevitably creates a potentially awkward situation. When the day comes that you have to consider dismissing that manager. It happened with Mike Petke. Baseball fans know it happened five times with the late Billy Martin. And if Zidane stays long enough at Real Madrid, who knows, it might happen for him as well. 
Uh, D.C. United is the case in point here, uh, in the uncomfortable position, I would imagine, of at least considering the dismissal of Ben Olsen, who's something of a team legend here. Uh, should that factor into anything? And a source inside the club is apparently telling the Washington Post that he's not going anywhere. It would take a string of embarrassing performances for this team to pull the plug. There's a longer leash. Should there be a longer leash for men of that stature? Look, Steve, great question. And, and look, nobody roots for anybody in this day and age to get fired from any job. N nobody wants that. But among the most cuts, cutthroat businesses, uh, sports, sports in general and soccer in particular, that's what we're talking about. Should he get along a leash? Look, yeah, I think so. He's dedicated how many years of his life to this organization as a player and a and coach? And he was a great player, a great player for them. Yeah, so the decades that he's dedicated himself on the field and as a, as a coach, yeah, I think that deserves a little bit longer leash. Having said that, if you look around the world, the best organizations are the ones that have to make the tough decisions. Sir Alex Ferguson was so great and so legendary at Manchester United because always he could pull the trigger on that star player when he thought it was time, no matter what the name was, whether it was David Beckham or anybody else. So it's not easy, but if you're going to be a great organization, you've got to do it. All right, we'll switch gears to what might be the most secure coach in the league, and that's Brian Schmetzer, whose team, they lit it up to the tune of 7-1. to one. This, to me, was like the perfect storm. And Jordan Morris had a great game. He's MLS Player of the Week for whatever that's worth. You've got this team that's firing on all cylinders against uh, a team that will man-mark you all over the field. Now, I'm not sure there's another team in the world that does this. I know that they were talking on the television broadcast that there might not be a single team in the world other than San Jose that does this on a regular basis. Maybe you know one. Uh, I don't know of one that exists. But that's playing with fire over any length of time, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the easy answer is yes, but everything is cyclical, Steve. If you go back to the 80s and the Dutch teams, Ajax, and, and the national team, it was total football, right? Man marking, players all over the field, uh, high pressure when they didn't have the ball, end-to-end -end action. So for San Jose... Yeah, is it different? Can they sustain it? Uh, occasionally, are they going to get spanked like they did against Seattle? Yeah, but I, I don't think they're going to change their style. I, I like I like diversity. I like different styles of play. It would be really, really boring if everybody sat back in a low block and looked to counterattack. Uh, but don't under, underestimate Brian Schmetzer. You talked about him. He's probably the most under-the-radar coach in the league in terms of He's so, so low-key, such a, a soft demeanor, but a big-time coach. And, of course, uh, the next match they play, San Jose produces a scoreless draw, which brings us to Major League Soccer and a whole and the unpredictability of this league, which I understand is historically a big part of its charm. But in this league more than any other, we see results that simply come out of nowhere. Uh, the Quakes were a mess, and then a scoreless draw their next time around against the Galaxy with a Chicharito side, uh, uh, with Chicharito returning uh, to that lineup. And I'm going to tie that in with something else we saw. Is there anything more MLS than the Colorado Rapids, winless in seven, 
going to Salt Lake and whipping them 5 nothing in their own park. <laughs> I love that one. And a fight at the end of the game or a yeah. skirmish, a skirmish anyway. A little bit of uh, chest bumping. I think there was a red card or two thrown at the end. Look, I- I'm going to... I'm going to try and add some context to what you're just talking about. Major League Soccer has always been very hard to predict. But remember the time that we're in, the pandemic, the virus, no fans for the most part in the, in the stadium when the games are played. And, and I, I'm not trying to reach too far, but for everybody in life today, there's a lot of frustration there's a lot of anger. If you go on the road, there's road rage. I'm seeing that, Steve, in, in, in the soccer games, not just here, but all over the world. A lot of studs up tackles, a lot of red cards. So it's, it's really the ultimate challenge to play hard and aggressive, whether it's Major League Soccer or anywhere else. I think a lot of the punt, pent up frustration from the pandemic, I think we're seeing it on the field. I sensed in yesterday's conversation with Alexi Lalas, and if you didn't hear the show, uh, you should go back and take a listen to it, that there was there was envy uh, almost East Coast to West Coast of what the league represents in your home and what it represents out there to his home. He now lives in Los Angeles. And the interesting thing was that conversation took place on the heels of a weekend in which both New York teams won their respective games. New York City is good again, isn't it? Four wins and a draw, last five. Look, that, that's one of the teams that we all, all of us, or most of us before the season said, look at NYCFC. They have a real solid team, front to back, starting goal, through the, through the back line, midfield, up front, and on the bench, a deep roster. So a little bit inexplicable. Uh, the start to the season for them, but I fully expect that at the end, they should be one of the teams that's there. Red Bulls won their game 2 nothing. What effect is Kevin Thelwell, the head of sport, who came over from Wolves and whose job is to reconstruct this team and make it a contender? What effect does he have on how the team is coached moving forward? Yeah, I'll tell you why that's so interesting, Steve, because all around the league and all around the world, you have different ways organizations are run, meaning does the coach have total control of, of what players constitute the roster? Is the general manager or sporting director or whatever the title is, is he the guy making the player decisions? In this case, a little bit under the radar screen, if you dig into Kevin Thelwell's background, this, this guy is a big-time guy at every level. He started one of the youngest coaches ever to get his top license, ended up directing all player development, coaching licenses, uh, player development in Wales, then made the move into England where he quickly climbed the ladder as academy director, first-team coach, eventually ending up at Wolves. And, and ending up with a seat on the board of directors. So at every level, this guy has climbed the ladder. Back to your question, he wrote a book, literally wrote a book titled The European Tactical Way to Play the 3-5-2. So I don't think there's any doubt at every level, and Red Bull supporters should encourage it, this guy is going to put his stamp on the team. Answer your question. I think everybody is going to answer to him. He's going to dictate maybe so much as the tactical lineup. Uh, He's going to have a coach that he trusts, coach the team. And I think if you're a Red Bull fan, you should be encouraged by that. 
All right. That came with a casualty, of course, Chris Armis, which I'm going to ask you about in a little bit. Let's set up our guest, though, Neil Sika, who's the voice of Columbus. Is there any real healthy debate at all that Columbus is not the best of the best in Major League Soccer right now? Hey, listen, it's early, Steve. <laughs> it's early, but yeah, right now they're there. Right now they are. They're the best team in the league today, I believe. They got a long way to go. Can they sustain it? We always knew that Caleb Porter, or I always thought he was the man, and you knew given time he's going to shape that team and, and turn it around. He's done it very quickly, and he's got some key pieces. So let's see if it's sustainable. Boateng to Mokhtar from distance, looking to pull the trigger. It falls to Zardes. He's outside. Count it. There you have it. There you have it. You were waiting for it, Columbus, and you got it. Jossie Sardis, his eighth, right to him, and it's 2-2. For a span of 77 minutes Saturday, Columbus was on the losing end of its game at Soldier Field in Chicago, and then Jossie Sardis saved the day. His 88th-minute goal salvaging the Crews 2-2 draw, and in games that count in the MLS regular season table, they've lost just once in 11. That was not Neil Sika on the call you just heard, but he is the television voice of the crew. Neil, welcome. I remember speaking with you at this team's darkest hour, and I think that's the last time you and I had a tangible soccer conversation about the crew when they were rumored to be leaving for Austin. Is this now the first time with you in the chair as its TV voice that you look upon your club as the best in MLS? I think that's a good starting point. I think there's a long way to go within regards to this season, Steve. But as far as the general aspect of what the Columbus crew is about in 2020 in this wild time, there's a lot to be excited about. Sunshine and roses on the other end of things after such a cloudy disposition for two years. And granted, they put competitive teams on the field in those tough times, making the Eastern Conference Championship in 2017, playing the Red Bulls, as you're well aware of, in the 2018 playoffs. But I think now that Caleb Porter's come in, a proven winning head coach, Tim Bezbachinko, a proven winning general manager and president, stepping into that role for the first time, these guys have been the architects, along with others, of, of a roster that I think is fit for maybe a deep run in the MLS postseason and set up for years to come. This is Caleb Porter's second season. Tell me something that changed almost immediately when he took control of this club. I think there was a part of him that wanted more accountability. And I think there was the aspect of giving players freedom that maybe they didn't have under Greg Berhalter compared to system play. But even though that was put out there by him, I don't think there was the personnel that fit that need. And I think that's when you saw changes were made in the second half of the season after the team struggles in 2019. But he demanded a lot of his group from the very beginning and did it with a roster that wasn't his. And now I think that he's got his pieces in place that Tim Bezbachinko, Pat Onstad, Neil McGinnis, the head scout, have helped him put the pieces in place now he is back to where I think he feels this is a group that fits more of his ideology that he had in Portland and even at the University of Akron where they were so successful. Uh, the chess pieces are in place for what they want to accomplish 
under his beliefs. And while he was very respectful of Greg Berhalter in the past, I think now that they've got the personnel that fits that way they want to play, you're seeing the results pay off. Stunning to see the scoreline with Columbus down to at Chicago. They had conceded a total of two goals in their first 10 regular season games. How was that possible? <laughs> it's really mind-boggling, right? If you're comparing to the great defensive teams of the last 20 years in different eras of Major League Soccer, the 2000 Kansas City Wizards had nine shutouts in their first 11 games. LA Galaxy, 2010, uh, a team that was also white hot from the start of the year mm. but this is a different era as we're well aware of how much faster the game is and granted you could say they played fc cincinnati three times who's not a team that's necessarily looking to attack on the regular but they've won games in different styles mls's back tournament is a perfect example of that in all three of their group stage victories i think and, and shep would concur if you're a defender if you're a goalkeeper there's a confidence and a belief once one shutout starts to accumulate, once a second one, that they're not going to score on us. I think that was very evident in the game against Philadelphia, which has been their toughest opponent so far, I think, this season, where they survived a few dodgy corner kick and set-piece opportunities, but they locked it down. And there hasn't been a lot of breakdown through the run of play this season. That's what's been so spectacular. And it's not just the back line. They've got a great spine. You are well aware. MLS 101, if you've got a good spine, you're going to be pretty good. And I think the complementary pieces around that now and the way they defend as a team, attacking without the ball, a mantra that you're quite familiar with, hmm. uh, has come into fruition here, and it's grown. And even though they conceded twice against Chicago, I think we saw a lot more about their resiliency and what else they can do in a situation like that where they were down. But the defensive record has been something that I haven't seen in my time here and few across the league haven't seen in the last decade. Let's talk about Jossie Zardes, who is not likely to eclipse his single-season high of 19 goals two years ago, unless he just burns it up. Look, in the coming weeks, it's a shortened 23-game season, which is the only reason I say this due to the pandemic, and the games, of course, are coming very fast. He's not likely to play them all. But he's 29. He's a designated player in the league. And if we're filling out a U.S. roster for a World Cup qualifying tournament today, what is he exactly to Greg Berhalter's side right now? I think this is a popular discussion because of maybe the level he plays on when he's with the national team, and he's had some great games. You've got Josie Altidore 1A, but who's 1B at this point if you're a striker? And if Greg Berhalter trusts you, which he does, going back from the Columbus days, but let's make one thing clear. Jossie Zardes is probably playing the best soccer of his career, the most complete soccer of his career. Think about three years ago when he was playing right back at the tail end of his LA Galaxy days. I think mm. the way he's able to check back into the midfield now, his first touch is so much better. I know that's been a knock on him through the years. But the way to identify, I mentioned the freedom that Caleb Porter has allowed his players to play with. I think he's taken advantage of that. He was involved in both goals against Chicago, eight in his first 11. The way he contributes, the type of person he is, that's all just building into the character of how he's become so much more of a complete player, how much more they look to him being a leader both on and off the field. So to take it to the club level question, he's someone you can rely on. And maybe he's not the guy who's starting in the most important game of your qualifying run, but he's someone that you know he's going to be on the bench or he's going to give you valuable minutes. And he's been through that situation before. So I think all of those things come into play now 
with how he's grown as a player, comeback player of the year a couple of years ago, still just 29, but he's really found a home here. And he's the best American striker in the last three years, 40 goals since the start of 2018. That's pretty darn good. Does it have to be over for Darlington Nagby when we talk about balancing club and country? I mean, understanding the desire to change the roster from what happened in qualifying four years ago. Nagby can still play. And I'm not certain as we talk that there are eight or nine midfielders now more equipped to represent the United States. Is it over for Nagby or not? I would never say never. I think now the interesting thing about this is that he's back in his home environment essentially growing up in the Cleveland area after moving from Liberia as a youngster at two hours from his family. I think there's a little bit more of a relief there. He's going to be successful wherever he plays at the club. Well, I think that's been established with what he did with Portland, what he did with Atlanta, what he's doing here with the crew. And I think Greg Berhalter is a heart to heart guy can have some of those honest conversations. I think that's still a very real possibility. I would never close the door on something like that, even though he's spoken to those possibilities in the past few months. You never say never. And I think the way his form is showing now with a, a market like Columbus, when a player like him may stand out a little bit more because they're not lost within the fabric of bigger markets or bigger soccer stars like he had in Portland and Atlanta, I think that name recognition comes a long way in defining his way not only in his club form, but what he could maybe do for his country down the road. Because when him and Pulisic were on the field, that was a pretty darn good combination. So I think they're looking at all options right now with the way U.S. soccer had their most recent year of up and down results and looking for something that can give them some stability. And he would be the starting point. You're home Saturday versus Nashville. Suddenly that's not an easy game anymore. But you did reference Tim Bezbachenko. Uh, Zella Ryan has brought in the season and has made a wonderful contribution so far with this club. As the new stadium goes up, and you reminded me that we're looking at summer of 2021 for the new stadium uh, in downtown Columbus to open up for the crew, uh, I'm not going to ask you to publicly start to spend other people's money, but <laughs> was maybe the Zellerion signing uh, just clue as to what's to come for this franchise moving forward? You built the place, you kept the team, now you have to give them a product. Yeah, it wasn't lip service when I said sunshine and roses. I think the product and the stability on the field, despite whoever's been in control in the last 15 years of this club, has been pretty darn good considering their market size. Now you get the game-changing pieces. You have NFL ownership along with the Edwards family, the Haslam's joining this quest and putting money, real dollars that they've never seen before. So you mentioned Lucas Ryan. I think there are still more signings to the club, they'll always look to get better. And it's money that they didn't have before. And you see it too within the community and what they're doing on the business side of things. The facility, everyone loves Crew Stadium, Mafre Stadium as a place to watch the game, spiritual home of, of U.S. soccer in a lot of ways. But it's time to take it to the next level. And on this thing is going to be a game changer. And you could say that about any new stadium, but after seeing firsthand on the tours that I've taken. I don't know if it can compare to any other stadium that's out there right now, even with some of the new ones that have been built in the last couple of years. So that is heavy praise. The Ohio Health Performance Training Center that they're building upon the new stadium, everything within the, the fabric of the community, kind of the underlying dust and hidden gem that maybe wasn't utilized before is being full taken advantage. And the key to all this, Steve, is that you have local people 
who are in care and in tune to what the club needs. A guy who was on the team staff as a doctor for years and is now part of the ownership group. Cleveland is not that far away, as you know, a couple hours away. People in the front office who have worked in this community for a long time. A little TLC goes a long way, and we're seeing that here with a club like Columbus. That says volumes. Neil, thanks a lot. Shet Messing, what do you like most about a crew team that's lost just once this season? Well, let me preface it by saying, Steve, when I was a player, I thought players won championships. As I got older and no longer played and studied and analyzed and became a broadcaster, it's really organizations that, that win championships. So that's what I like best about Columbus. Start at the top, that new ownership group, and they go get Bezbachenko, right? So he's the point guy at the top. Caleb Porter, he's the guy boots on the ground on the field. So from the top-down ownership, uh, Bezbachenko, Caleb Porter, now let's look at the team. I just love their balance on the defensive side of the ball and on the attacking side of the ball. I always think you have to have that one guy on one team, and many times they play a different position. But, but who's your go-to guy? Well, it's Darlington Nagby. I mean, no matter where that ball is, they're looking for him. And he's that one player in a tight space in a difficult situation. He could get through it. He could dribble through it. He could spray the ball. He's got a high soccer IQ, so he knows what to do with the ball when he releases it and where to go to show himself for the next play. And that and was then, one of the most important things about the comeback, that it came without Darlington Nagby making that contribution the other day. Right, but when you have a guy like that, everybody tries to replicate it, emulate it. He's setting a tone for the team. And, and Zardes, look, he's gotten a lot of criticism, especially at the U.S. national team level, right? He still scores goals, but people are saying, you know, is that our best U.S. national team player? Well, right now, I think he belongs there. He's, he's, he's almost slowed his game down, if that makes sense. In the early years, his early success, sometimes he was a little bit reckless, out of control, didn't know how to make the run, didn't time the run. He's really a poised player now, very strong, very athletic, and he could finish with all, all kinds of ways. Neil gave us the clear impression that this is a very aggressive ownership group now. They're getting the stadium done. That'll be done middle of next season if everything goes on time. And that's something Chris Armas in New York never got to benefit from. Uh, a budget, uh, big purse strings to pull to solve certain issues. Uh, I don't know what we're hearing about what's next for Chris. Uh, his name was mentioned as a candidate for the Puerto Rican national team. Now, he is of Puerto Rican descent. I don't know if it's a mandate if you need to live in Puerto Rico to accept the job. Is a national team assignment possibly on the radar for him, do you think? Well, interesting, because look, no, nobody's rooting harder for Chris Ormus than I am, and you are. We've known him a long time. He's a quality human being. And I got to tell you, th the situation he had at Red Bulls, in terms of, you mentioned it, you know, salaries, players, what was available, he came out looking pretty good. You look at his record in his tenure as a manager, I think there are going to be a lot of opportunities for him. What I didn't realize, Steve, is that Look, he's a, I've told you, we've talked about it before, that he is a, a quality homebody with his wife and kids. I didn't realize the kids are grown. He's got a son playing college soccer at Adelphi. So I think where once I would question whether he's ready to uproot his family, 
uh, if he's ready to pick up roots and move somewhere else, I think he's going to get major league soccer opportunities as well as the one you mentioned, maybe the Puerto Rican national team. Great thing about the Shep Messing Daily Podcast, you're liable to pick up on the same thought on the very next show, which is always a day away. Tomorrow, three games on the Major League Soccer schedule. We'll get into those. And Thierry Henry, who has a top five team in MLS Eastern Conference. What's it all about in Montreal? That's a wrap for this show. Shep, we'll see you down the road. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.